hammer down, and push your IndyCar to the limit. No better way to quiet your critics than to go to victory lane. From turbochargers to tight turns, we're covering everything that's happening in the NTT IndyCar Series. Erickson wins the Indianapolis 500 in the most dramatic way. Exclusive interviews with drivers, crew chiefs, and team owners discussing the IndyCar storylines that matter to you. No matter whether it's a street circuit, a road course, a super speedway, or a small oval, it's fantastic, and there's more to come in 2022. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Brick by Brick. So much, Tony Kanan, to unpack. And by the way, folks, we should point out it is a semi-wounded Tony Kanaan recovering from stem cell. I think it was stem cell surgery on your shoulder, old man. Right, right. My right shoulder. Uh, I had done it that six years ago, but obviously uh, I thought it was going to be slowing down. So now I'm actually racing more than ever. <laughs> so the old shoulder it took a beat, but now it's, uh, it's, it's refurbished. Jack, and we'll be ready to go in a few days. It's pretty painful right now, but uh, it will be good to go. There you go. Man, oh man, oh man. That's the only way I can describe what we witnessed at Worldwide Technology Raceway. Uh, There was something for everyone. There's so much to unpack, TK. Joseph Newgarden wins back-to-back years at Worldwide Technology Raceway. Make that four for Newgarden this track in the ppg chevy awesome performance and that's his fifth win on the season joseph newgarden will be joining us in the next segment to talk about his fifth victory and where he stands now just a handful of points behind his teammate in the chase for the championship i know you touted joseph as being the guy to watch but what were your major takeaways from the event itself? I mean, the event itself. Uh, I would say, Jack, if, if you watched the race prior to the rain, it was a typical oval race. It was kind of boring. Yeah. Very yeah. Uh, like, man, people try to play the strategy to try to guess when the rain will come. And I think, I mean, hats off to Jay and IndyCar and his team that they stood with it. I thought it was going to be over after the rain. They had gone more than halfway. It was 43 laps to go. That's all go home. And they did not. Um, and then it was another race. So to me, the first thing, I know, and you know better than me, and then for the listeners, we don't dictate the, the time that we start the races. TV does. So... But to me, that was a sign that it needs to be a night race because our cars and the combination of the track, we do have more grip when it's cooler. And that's why you saw what you saw. Yes, I understand you had differences in tires. Some people pit different different tire strategies and stuff. But, but I mean, it was, um, you know, an amazing 43 laps. And, and, and we could spend hours talking about Lucas, we can talk about the Pato's uh, passes on the outside, Felix Rosenquist's restarts. I mean, what a race. And, uh, I think it's getting to the level of this what this championship deserves. I think it's we witnessed something in St. Louis that is actually up to the level 
of this championship, which is, for me, the toughest one I've ever seen in IndyCar. I know I say that every year, but I truly believe the winner of this championship can be really proud and more because of the level of the people that we have there. What a night here at Worldwide Technology Raceway. You gotta love the rookie. Not happy with just the podium. He knows that this is a rare chance in his young career to get even more. He was headed for a good here result. He comes. This is the closest he's been. Gotta get run on him. The white flag. Do it now. Does Remember the outside. Go for it? Yes. It's risky, but he's gonna go for it. Inside. You gotta love inside. that. Malukas the second. Unbelievable Whoa. move from David Malukas. On the last lap to take second from Scott McLaughlin. The performance of David Malukas, who uh, I, you know, when when we visited with him, he pretty much both you and I agreed uh, he had uh, transitioned from a meek, mild rookie to uh, taking some advice from his car owner Dale Coyne and being a little more aggressive. I don't care whether you were pulling for Scotty McLaughlin, you were pulling for Joseph Newgarden or for Scott Dixon. When you saw David making the passes that he made and advancing through that field and the exuberance in the radio transmissions, how could you not love that performance guy? Oh, I mean, the kid was singing in the radio. Yeah. I'm like, dude, <laughs> how relaxed you? You're not even 21. And then he couldn't even drink his champagne on the podium. So, I mean, again, that tells you. I know now they're pretty close, Lunger than himself, for the rookie of the year. Uh, Lunger has been extremely strong in the, in the road courses. So I still think he's going to get him. But uh, again, uh, he's been showing it, Jack. I mean, uh, this year they changed a little bit the, uh, the way they voted the rookie of the year at the 500, it was a fan vote. It was a, a series of performances as well. So Jimmy ended up getting it. But he was the best rookie too. So it's not just, you know, that he just showed up. I think he's been showing that since St. Pete. And uh, this kid has a really bright future ahead. And over the weekend, it, it, it came right from Dale Coyne. So I, I think I've got to... Uh, a certain foundation that I can lean on when I say um, Dale all but made the formal announcement that both of his drivers uh, will be back next year. That means Malukas and Sato will be part of Dale coin racing. And I very can't, unusual. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I can't recall the last time that DC had two drivers returning to the stable there always was one you had to introduce to everybody and, you know, walk around the shop and say, this is our new driver, insert name, not in 2023. And, and that tells you how I think, you know, at the end of the day, like it's a sign, right? I think they'll figure out that. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the perception that people have of Dale, they was always like, Oh, a small team. Look how well they're doing. They always been doing well for a long time. I mean, you know, as you know, uh, and, and I think he's probably saying now, you know, we have a chance to win a championship. Let's not make any changes. You know, speaking of shops, uh, I, I, I was <laughs> really taken aback by the press release that we all received via email from Andretti Autosport, their global center 
which I can't think of another IndyCar team that refers to their their facility as a global center. But that having been said, TK, I mean, he, Michael has built a global motorsports enterprise, and now they're going to break ground on a half a million square foot building, a half a million square feet. I can't even, I can't even imagine. That's like four city blocks. (laughs) I mean, it's a city. And yeah. I think Mike will be the first one, you know, and NASCAR is pretty common, right? You walk to Bensky, Joe Gibbs, and Hendricks. I mean, they have, it's a campus. And I think that's what Mike was having. I mean, he definitely has some financial backing from the guy from Cambridge. I mean, he's trying to get to Formula One. And I think to get to Formula One, he needs to impress some people. And that's my honest opinion. It's not. Yes. Does he need a shop like this big? I don't know what his plans are, but I mean, to run an F1 team, also run out of America. I don't know. Haas used to do that. So, but I think it's a, a very ambitious project. I mean, I I have no idea how half a million square. I don't. I don't. I, I size. I you, I don't think you I can't can, grasp it. I know. I can't grasp it. So, My brain's too small to figure it out. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I think it's. It's showing also how strong our series is as well. His main, you know, his main business is in the car. So he must be doing something right. So, but yeah, I mean, and it's funny, right? Because Brejo announced their shop in Zionsville. And then Graham announced an extension of a couple more. It looks like nowadays it's like, oh, my shop's bigger than yours, which is not the case. But I mean, I think Michael solely is doing it to show the world that he's here to stay. And also the how serious he is to grow his motorsport uh, reach, which is not just IndyCar, but also to get into Formula One. Well, and let's not just limit it to Formula One. You know, he, he he's part of that clean energy. Uh, Formula uh, as, E. Yeah, and Formula E. And look, I keep hearing rumors over on the, on the NASCAR side, my friend, that, uh, you know, they're still courting uh, a, a, another OEM manufacturer and certainly in the past, uh, Andretti has been linked to feelers in the world of NASCAR. Right. And, you you know, you talk about the Gamebridge money. Look, NASCAR, when you look up NASCAR, there are an acronym, OPM, Other People's Money. money. <laughs> so I don't think that it's at all out of the question that, because Michael is a brilliant businessman putting the deal together. You've got the, you've got the Kyle Bush situation. You've got so much that's in flux and a next gen car that for the first time, I know it's a stretch. It's still comparing pumpkins to grapes, but there are some similarities to what IndyCar and sports car racing deals with week in and week out. Yeah, hundred percent. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't think of that, but you're right. So let's see. When you have a structure like that, of course, OEM is going to look for you because you know it, who is they're going to look around who's prepared, and that's who we're going to go with. And I think Michael, you know, with the right people working, you know, for him and, and with the financial background, he's doing the right thing. By the way, um, two sidebar issues with IndyCar drivers. Um, you know, you and I 
have kind of followed Elio and his active lobbying for uh, a ride in the in in the Daytona 500. Uh, let me give you the update. Uh, I had Justin Marks on uh, this week's wind tunnel and two points that came from Justin. Uh, a yes, he's had conversations with 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 Elio, your buddy, your compadre, uh, and with the success of Project 91 at Watkins Glen and Kimi Raikkonen, uh, I, I think that, you know, now the one thing that's maybe standing in the immediate way is both of his NASCAR drivers are playoff bound and winning a championship. But here's the one that rose my antenna. I was unaware of it. Did you know that Justin Marks first race was the Indianapolis 500. His father took him to the Indy 500 and they witnessed Jacques Villeneuve's victory in, uh, in, in the, uh, the, uh, the green autosport card. So I, you know, me, you know, I'll jump off into, off the cliff and you want to listen because the answer was fascinating. I said, so is an IndyCar entry in track house's future? The answer was yes. Uh, he can give him my number. <laughs> Already did, partner. Already <laughs> did. Okay. You know, we spend so much time talking about the chase for the championship. We're getting down to the short strokes as well for the ladder system races and uh, the performance of Matthew Brabham in the Indy Lights. I mean, look, Linus Lundquist has just absolutely dominated the, the Indy Light Series this year. But every now and again, you, you see someone kind of like a, like a desert gopher pops his head up and goes to victory lane. But when you take a look of the health of the ladder system in IndyCar, I've said this before, uh, and congratulations to Matthew for winning at Worldwide Technology. Um, there are, there's an abundance of talented race car drivers. And it's like, I call it a reverse funnel. They're, they're showing, showcasing their wares, but it is a game of musical chairs. There are only so many seats at the very top in IndyCar. All right, let's set the stage. Coming up, we'll visit with the winner at Worldwide Technology Racing uh, over the past weekend. He was at it with a vengeance when they went back to green, beat his teammate, beat Malukas, and in doing so, scored his fifth victory. We call him the million-dollar man after he won that special bonus at the beginning of the season. But now we need to call him a true championship contender. Joseph Newgarden will join us after the break. And then let's get equal time for the other side of the conversation about championships. Mike Hull, the managing director for Chip Ganassi Racing. We'll close out our little hour get-together here. He's Tony Kanan. I'm Jack Root. Stay right where you are. We've just begun with Brick by Brick. Coming up next. From my seat, I really see it as a, a wide-open championship in a lot of ways. Surely, if we podium both events, we'll, we'll be just fine, and, and maybe that'll be enough. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this year there's too many elite people in the mix you have to go in the mentality that you you're gonna go take the championship you can't risk anything but you have to go and take it so that's my mentality we're hitting the brakes but we'll be back on track after this 
from the green flag to the checkered flag. We're discussing the hottest topics from the NTT IndyCar Series. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Three in a row at this track for New Garden. This man's on a mission, and he's within three of the championship lead. Welcome back to Brick by Brick. I'm Jack Aroot, and we are pleased to be joined by a guy that just put his foot on the throat of the competition and injected himself right back into the title chase with his win at Worldwide Technology Raceway. You know we're talking about Joseph Newgarden. Joseph, that was an amazing race to watch. You were not going to be denied. But then the rain came, and I would think you had to be, you know, bringing out a little troll and, you know, burning some incense and saying, let me get back to green flag racing. Yeah, the big thing for me on the night was, was like you said, just being able to go back and race. I was really disappointed when the rain started falling. You know, it was, a, it was an interesting race. Um, it started out as a huge fuel save race for everybody uh, up to about halfway. And then strategies split in the middle caution of the race. And you know, we went for the um, we went for taking fuel, taking tires and losing a little bit of track position, but, but not having to worry about fuel um, and tires for the rest of the race. And that changed the whole dynamic. And then you know, we were able to charge to the front. And then when we charged to the front, uh, the, the final caution of the night came for, for raindrops. And we only had about 40 laps to go. And, and within, that, within that period, just a couple laps before I got passed by McLaughlin in the, in the pit exchange. Right. Um, and so I was all about just wanting to get back out and race because I, I knew we had a car to, to win on the night. And if, you know, that rain stuck around, we, we would have lost the race essentially in the last pit exchange. And I didn't feel like that was <laughs> a thing ending for us on, on the evening. So did you automatically become a meteorologist? Were you buried in the latest weather graphics saying, okay, see, the cell is moving here. We've got it because uh, I, I think all of us, first and foremost, applauded the decision by IndyCar to go with a two-hour delay and to treat the fans and in turn you with an opportunity for an exciting finish but those two hours while they were drying the racetrack off how antsy was Joseph Newgarden well I wasn't too antsy I just I wanted to get back out and go and you know I knew that the rain was short-lived um really I felt like we could have got back on track a lot quicker it didn't rain very hard it only rained for about 20-25 minutes so it was it was great that IndyCar, you know, worked to get the track in shape and that we, we got back out in two hours, like you said. And I, I much prefer that than, you know, to finish under rain and say it was an incomplete race, but it was complete enough for us to finish. And, you know, even if I was on the other end of that where we were still leading, you know, and I felt like we were, we were fast enough to be, you know, continue leading um, before that rain came out. But even if I was sitting there leading, I, I don't know that I'd have been dreaming for the race to be over because you just never want to see a race finish um, in an incomplete manner. And so to be able to, you know, go out and, you know, finally see the ending, it was also great for the, you know, for me, the, the fans that stuck around, I thought they got to see something really great. I love running at night under gateway. I think it, it always looks better. It feels a lot um, quicker in the car. It's just more exciting. And so night races to me have always been my favorite and, and people got a little dose of that at the end. You know, in Victory Lane, you said something, uh, and uh, I, I I wanted to ask you about it in referencing your teammate and, and the fact that that Scotty, uh, I'm I'm going to paraphrase, pretty much raced you almost too clean 
you know, was, was not because you were teammates, maybe raced you a little bit differently. Can you expound upon that a little bit? Well, what I, what I liked with, with Scott was, you know, he didn't make it overly complex. Um, yeah. You know, he, he, believe me, he wanted to win the race and he didn't give me anything. I can tell you that if you saw <laughs> his, if you saw his restart, he actually had a, he had a phenomenal restart, pulled a little bit of a gap and then went as, as hard as he possibly could through one, two to try and build that gap. He actually got a little bit loose on the bottom and it just gave me the opportunity to, you know, drive one and two a little bit better than him. And I got a great run off the corner. And, you know, then, then comes a decision point when I have that big run on him on the back stretch. you know, he's either going to block to the inside or he's going to sort of hold his lane. And I like that he held his lane because, you know, he would have just put me in a tougher position because what I would have done in that situation is if he blocks the inside, I'm going outside and I'm just going to take a bit more risk to get around him. And I, I felt like for us, it wasn't needed at that point. You know, I, I felt like my car was probably a little quicker than his. And so he didn't, he didn't run me easy, but he didn't make the situation overly complex. And I felt like in that type of race, in that situation, he didn't need to. And um, so it's not, it's not that he raced me easy. He just didn't make the, the, the situation more complex than it needed to. Well, the finish certainly puts you back right in a heated conversation about the championship. No more ovals, just two races left. Size up what you think Team Penske needs to do to beat fellow Team Penske driver Will Power. What does Joseph Newgarden and his team need to do in terms of checking boxes over the course of the next two races? Well, from my seat, I really see it as a, a wide open championship in a lot of ways, you know, uh, especially amongst the top seven. You know, I think you could you could maybe filter it down to the top four at this point when you look at, at the points across the board. But, I, you know, the game changes so quickly nowadays and the championship has been so up and down and so fluid that I don't know how you can discount, you know, anyone in the top seven. Um, so by no no means do I you know, look at this as just a race between me and Will, you know, obviously we're one, two right now, but we have, you know, the Ganassi cars that are not far behind us. And then I look at my teammate, Scott, um, or even Pato Award, and, and none of these cars are out of the mix. I mean, this, this whole thing could flip instantly just in Portland and then have a completely different scenario coming into Laguna. So, you know, it's for sure going to reward consistency. We've seen that throughout this year, that consistency is, you know, paying big dividends, you know, we've had five wins on the season and we're not leading the championship. So that just, you know, that goes to tell you how, how big wins are these days. Obviously winning a race is good, but you know, you could win one race on these final two and then finish last and you probably aren't going to win the championship. So I think it's really going to come down to maximizing the last two events as best as possible, you know, being the most consistent amongst everybody. And if we can do that, then, you know, we have a good shot. We're in position, um, but we've got to close things out right. Joseph, so does that going to change the way you race? Because I can't see exactly what, I mean, when I won the championship, I won the championship winning three races. And then in 2007, I won five races and Dario won the championship. So towards the end of the year, I think it cost me quite a bit. The races that I said, no, I got to go only for the win. And it, it doesn't matter, you know? So with that, obviously, with that turn one in Portland, you know what I mean? You never know what's going to happen there. Is that going to change your approach or not at all? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. I, you know, I think from my side, TK, whenever I don't, whenever I'm not racing 
to to go for the win. I I and and by that I mean when I'm not pushing, you know, flat out in a lot of ways, not overdoing it, not trying to overstep, but when I'm not pushing flat out to try and maximize myself on the weekend, I I end up guarding myself too much and a lot of times putting myself in a in a worse position. I I think you know looking at the championship to me it, this year is shaping up into a format where you've got to go and take it. You know I, I mean there's one way to look at it and say all right let's just be the most consistent across the two races let's try and podium both events and surely if we podium both events we'll we'll be just fine and, and maybe that'll be enough. But I don't I don't know I mean I I think this year Will looks very determined I think he could be lights out quick on these these last two events you know a, a guy like Alex Pillow is very capable of doing that we know Scott's capable of it I mean my my teammate Scott could do that or Pato I just think the, the there's too many elite people in the mix that you have to you have to go in the mentality that you you're gonna go take the championship you can't risk anything but you have to go and take it so that's my mentality. Well, and not only that, but all the championship contenders, uh, look at the performance of that rookie out of Chicago. It reminded me of a young Joseph Newgarden when, when all of a sudden David Malukas was filling your rearview mirrors. And, you know, I, I, I don't think he had enough to get by you, but all of a sudden you're seeing some newfound muscle at the end of the season with some non-championship contenders. TK and I've said it over and over again, 2022, you got to go way deep in the field before you start discounting whether they actually have a shot at winning or not. Oh, there's no doubt. Look, when you, you know, it's, it's easy to be positive about the championship that you're in. You obviously, you know, you, you want to promote your own series as best as possible, but, you know, even being biased, I, I, I don't know that you can beat the pair that they never has and it, it gives me a lot of pride I think all of us have a lot of pride of being a part of the championship because we know how difficult it is to succeed in it and so when you can find success it's incredibly gratifying you know just even talking about the the, the rookies like you mentioned you know someone like David Malukas I think looks like he has a great future in front of him um, he's he's been doing tremendous in my opinion he's been without a doubt the cleanest rookie I've seen in a lot of in a long time but even the other rookies that we have in the championship, yeah. I think are incredibly strong. Like a Christian Lungard um, has just been performing, you know, above and beyond in some, some ways when you look at his speed. So yeah, it's, it's across the board, whether it's a rookie, whether it's the veterans, you know, if you're talking about teams individually, you know, the competition is just incredibly close. And, and so you've got to be on it in all ways. You can't, you can't miss any detail and it's incredibly gratifying when you're able to get the best of everybody because it's, it's just not easy to do. There's no give me's these days. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, obviously I don't jack that and it's not because you're here, but, and probably he's going to go against uh, my teammates would be mad at me, but I, I picked you. And, and I think the way you've been consistent and, and I mean, we'll be strong, but like, Bad luck or not, you create that too. And his qualifiers are, you know, it was awesome, obviously. Uh, you know, he just broke the record of poles, but he had a couple of mishaps on the, on, on the, the street and the road courses. So, uh, you know, for sure, uh, you look pretty good, mate. So, uh, good luck. You, like you said, it's not going to be easy, but I think you guys are, you know, every year we race an IndyCar, we said this is the toughest year. But, I mean, by far, looking from the outside, I think I've never seen uh, a championship that was that competitive 
with everything, right? Even the class of rookies that we put it in with five rookies there so fast. I mean, uh, to win this one, I think it's going to be special. I, I agree with you. I, I totally agree, Tony. You know, everyone's, I, I have a ton of respect for everybody in the championship. And certainly when you look at the top seven, you know, these are some very elite drivers, in my opinion. You know, even someone like Scott McLaughlin, uh, who's, you know, this is his second year. But I, I, I would rate Scott as someone that is, you know, the top talent in the world. I mean, not just IndyCar, not just, you know, where he came from in supercars. I think he's one of the best drivers mm. that we have on the planet. Um, and so it's really, it's really gratifying to be in this mix with, with this company. Uh, you know, the only thing that I worry about or that I lose sleep on is, is the un uncontrolled things, you know, like the yellows. We just, you know, a lot of times you come in with a great strategy, you're trying, you try and react appropriately to however the race is unfolding, but you, you can't control everything and you can't predict everything. And so the, that are unpredictable are what can, you know, at times bite you. Um, I think that's, that's the traps for us as we come into the final two races, but you know, you can't fixate on that. You've just got to focus on yourself and, and put your best foot forward and, and hopefully it works out. Hey, Joseph, be a little careful, be a little reserved with your comments because in the virtual green room, he's going to follow your appearance is the managing director for Chip Ganassi racing, taking copious notes about what you may be saying. At least we're speculating to that effect as they are immersed hip deep in the championship chase. Hey, uh, give you a one final opportunity before we let you go to promote bus bros. I love it. It's terrific. It is great. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, we've, uh, Obviously, me and Scott uh, McLaughlin, my teammate, we've we've had a great relationship here. Uh, it's been a tough relationship, if I'm going to be honest with you guys. You know, I I've I've not had a teammate in my life that <laughs> I like as much as Scott, and it's <laughs> it can be it can be difficult because you know at the end of the day, he's a fierce competitor. You know, he is here to win and to be you know an alpha, and and we all are that way. We all want to be the best, and. Um, when you have that competitive of, of an environment with someone that you're, you know, friends with, it, it, it can be very positive, but it can also be something you have to manage at some point. And I, I find that, you know, we, we, all we wanted to do with bus bros was show who we are a little bit outside of the competitive side in racing, you know, and we don't get a lot of that in IndyCar these days. We're, we're, we're all working at it to, to show the personality of, of the drivers. And I think, you know, Bus Bros has been a great opportunity for us. So we do this, we do this show that people that don't know about it, uh, we post it on YouTube. It's called Bus Bros. Um, we just get together and we do like a 15, 20 minute episode each weekend. We go around, uh, interview people, go check people's buses out. You know, we have different challenges um, and just try dress and keep up it, like, you know, dress your teammate up like an eagle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whatever it is, we kind of try and keep it fun and light, but we just give, uh, you know, people a little better perspective on, on what we're up to on a race weekend outside of the intensity. We appreciate your visiting with us and wish you the best in the championship chase as uh, we're down to the final. It's so hard to believe the final two races. Thanks, guys. Take care. That's Joseph Newgarden. Coming up next, he's waiting in our virtual green room. Uh, that's right. The managing director for Chip Ganassi Racing. Mike Hull, the man is brilliant. Seriously, Mike will join us after you listen to these messages. Coming up next. If someone like myself had to write a management book about motor racing, I don't know that we'd be successful doing that. But we do a really good job of what we do in the building, getting on the airplane, getting the racetrack, making it happen, solving problems and winning races.
And I think that's why we have people that give, give, give together. And uh, the best of times also means you've had the worst of times. And uh, uh, having had both, we know what it feels like to have a good day. <laughs> Quick pit stop, and then we're back on the track. This, this is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. We're hitting the apex to bring you the hottest news from the NTT IndyCar Series. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Welcome back. It is Brick by Brick. A wounded but resilient Tony Kanan uh, <laughs> at my side after shoulder surgery yesterday. And as I alluded to before we went to break, TK, uh, this is a guy. He's the go-to guy. You know because you're part of the team. Uh, Mike Hull, from very humble beginnings, has become one of the true brain trust leaders in the world of IndyCar racing. And not only that, he's been one of the key elements in uh, Scott Dixon's phenomenal six championships and quite possibly a seventh coming down the road in just two races. Mike, I'm just putting as many platitudes out there as possible because you have always been my go-to guy and help me better understand the role of a strategist and also to appreciate the calm demeanor that you present when Dixie's voice gets a little high and he gets a little animated during the course of a race. How are you today? Well, I'm good. I'm going to get you to introduce me from now on, Jack. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, all good. Uh, and you're right. Uh, sometimes inflection uh, between uh, Scott or even myself back to him uh, kind of uh, tells the tale these days. Yeah, it's good. So, Mike, obviously, uh, you know, as much Chip gives you credits, I don't think I want to, I'm excited to have you on the show because obviously I have the pleasure to work with him, with you for the past, I don't know, decade. We won, I mean, uh, probably my most remarkable was the Daytona 24 uh, that I, for the first time, I actually saw you emotional there which was pretty cool but you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, you know in a way like people don't understand what it takes to run an organization and when people think well it's, Doug, it's Chip Ganassi it's Mike said Scott's car I mean how many people you manage how many teams because it's not just the IndyCar team right so this is a like a it's a job that I cannot even understand how you can do it by yourself. I know you're going to say we're one team, but I mean, you are the leader. You're the guy that actually sends the team to the right direction uh, all the time. And I say that because I experienced that. Once we're not doing very good, you're the one that, brought, that brings us back. So how much pressure do you have and how do you do it? Um, you know, I, the pressure's there, no question. First of all, you, you can't deny that. It, it is, but it would be that way uh, at my advanced age, you know, if I was working somewhere else in, <laughs> in life, uh, some other company, corporation, whatever, the pressure would be there to perform. There's no question about that, number one. And Tony, you're right. It is about the people. But what what's happened for, for our company, uh, for our business, for our team, and for me, what's in common there is the fact that we've built it as time has gone on. So it's block by block. So today, what you see is nothing like it was when I went to work for Chip. When I went to work for Chip, I, I was the 18th or 19th person to go to work there. Uh, and uh, we had an owner who actually is almost the opposite of what people think they see. 
He's very patient. Um, he's very appreciative. He uh, understands that you have to uh, continue to build your process. So for people like me, I've been lucky enough to learn on the job with now uh, these levels of managers that work through the system that make thing, things happen, number one. Number two, uh, there was a book written a few years ago called, uh, I think the world is flat or something like that. An interesting read. Uh, and that's very much what Chip Ganassi Racing is. We're, our world is very flat. Uh, we take on all projects together. We, we enjoy the experience that each of us have to make things better. And so I'm lucky I'm surrounded by those kinds of people. Tony, as you've seen firsthand. Um, and uh, the pressure's there, no question. Uh, but we, what we do is we just dig in based on today's priority and we solve problems together. And uh, we continue to remind everybody that you win every day. You know, Mike, there's, there's so many non-racing instances. What comes to mind is the way, as you alluded to, um, Chip Ganassi Racing came together uh, as we all struggle with COVID and, you know, diverted some of their attention, but it became, uh, you know, a, a, a company building uh, opportunity, uh, tackling issues. You have always struck me as a guy that relies on curiosity. Am I onto something there? I mean, I, I think that's, that's one aspect of leadership that some leaders tend to forget is you need to always be curious because that's going to pave the path to the answers. Oh, I think curiosity is a big deal. Um, you shouldn't take it for granted, number one. And then number two, um, you should always, motor racing especially, Let's face it, the easiest way to gain a competitive edge is to copy what somebody is already doing better than you are. Uh, but what happens there is they then use your shoulder blades for traction. <laughs> um, so uh, what you have to do with curiosity is you have to, you, you have to look at uh, problem solving uh, by finding new avenues. Number and, and that's a big deal. And then what you do is what is monumental today in order what you have to solve, which in most people's mind is monumental for tomorrow, that has to be an easy task. You have to make it easy. Uh, and the people that work for you help you make that easy. They, they find ways to do it and you have to listen to that. You have to be curious, as you've said, with what they're doing to help you so that tomorrow's tasks, they're doing everything in a normal fashion with what was hard and today they're they're now ta tackling the the much more difficult problems and uh, uh, yeah yeah common denominator for us. Mike, obviously talking about the championship now, you guys have uh, you know with Scott an opportunity to make history in IndyCar. Um, are you obviously you guys recovered big time? I think on that call uh, in Nashville uh, <laughs> with. With the no tires, but um, yeah. What, what uh, as far as you know, do you ever think about you know you're going for seven now? Are you trying to take it as a, uh, you know, it, my my question is, would you, how are you guys going to approach the, this last two? We need to go for it, or we need to be smart to get the most points to you know because we have a driver that you know if you put him in front. 
nobody's passing him. And that's exactly what happened there in Nashville. Well, it took a while to get in front of Nashville. Uh, that was not easy. <laughs> You'd think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that was like, you know what? That car probably was like driving, you know, probably everybody's been to the state fair in their, in their home, home state, right? And they have that slick track thing that has that wiry thing that goes up to the top and the sparks are going all over the place. Well, that's how Dixon's car was at Nashville. It was like driving a slick track car with a, with a loss of downforce. But uh, to answer your question, Tony, I think that the way that we look at it is the same way we looked at the first one for Scott or the first win for Scott. We just work on today. That's what we do. Uh, I never thought of my lifetime. But here, here's the deal. In IndyCar racing, when Mario and, and AJ were running, uh, it took uh, each of them 20 plus years to, to create the records they, that, that Scott is, is, is getting close to or breaking. Um, but they raced 35 times a year in the USAC championship, number one. And number two, they didn't race spec cars. We race spec cars today. Think about that. Over 21 years, Scott has broken Mario's record in a spec car. It wasn't quite spec to start with, but it got got there pretty quickly with the way things rolled down the road for us. So we just think about getting the most out of every day, uh, getting the most out of, in this case, Portland's the next one. That's all we're thinking about. We're thinking about Friday at Portland already, obviously, then Saturday, then Sunday. And, uh, uh, you know, when we went to Portland last year with all that dust that was created there when Scott was in the middle of that, think about what happened there. Yeah, we had to come back and get points. I, I think that that talks to the resiliency of the driver, Scott Dixon, in this case, and the team members that they just don't give up. And uh, we're not going to give up until. Uh, I don't know, hopefully we get on the airplane to come home and we haven't given up by then. <laughs> I can think of a few people, Mike, that probably know Scott Dixon outside of his family the way that you do. So if you had to explain to somebody, give a broad brush uh, analysis of what makes him so special, what would you say? Doesn't accept what just happened. Uh, in the race car itself, uh, first of all, everything that happens on the racetrack, some people would think that it's uh, monumentally uh, uh, destructive. <laughs> uh, he treats it as a tear off. You know, um, he gets he gets up tipped upside down on the radio sometimes about what just happened, whether it be a call from the officials, whether it be running into somebody, whether somebody ran into him, whether he thought our strategy was bad, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, but guess what he does? You know, you see athletes in other sports that do this immediately. They just get right on with it. As bad as it is. And, uh, you know, that's why guys like Joe Montana. Uh, get down, get down the, uh, get down the, uh, the gridiron quickly. You know, they don't, they don't really care if a guy dropped a pass, they're going to throw another one. And, uh, and that's what Scott does. He, he doesn't care if we drop the pass, he's going to, you know, the next one, he's going to receive the next one. So that strong mental uh, ability that he has, we've seen a lot of race drivers and we saw a really good ones, uh, including the one that's on this call here. That's what they have in common. The set, they're separators. They separate themselves, and that's how they do it. So, Mike, obviously, you know, it's getting down to the wire. Uh, you guys had a, a, you know, like you said, I think, uh, you know, it's funny when people say, oh, Scott's having a bad year, and he's third in the championship, because everybody's <laughs> expect, 
about to win, but as a team, as an organization, look what we, we have done this year, right? I mean, you, we start the year, Chip says all the time, we have two goals, win the 500 and win the championship. So we did goal number one. Now we have three guys, they are fighting for the championship. Um, and, you know, dealing with, like you said, with the personnel, looks like to me, you guys are always very prepared also because people get sick, people change, some people leave in the middle of the year. What's the secret that you, you like, you always looks like you always have two people of the kind? Because if something happens to somebody, you already have the person to replace it, you know? It's the culture, Tony, uh, the culture that we created here a long time ago that's 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 now well mentored in the system. Uh, I don't think that we ask people to do anything unusual. We just ask them to give. And uh, racing's a funny business, isn't it? Because no matter how, how hard you work on a daily basis, it feels like it's much harder if you don't win <laughs> wow um, yeah and 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 i think we've been really really lucky we built build an organization that that understands you know they they exhaled the first time they won and then after that they they they've inhaled inhaled together and uh, uh they know what it feels like they know what it means they know when they give they're going to get back and uh the lineage that is has been created here drives that culture. Um, how we did it, I don't know. If, if someone like myself had to write a management book about motor racing, I don't know that we'd be successful doing that. But we do a really good job of what we do in the building, getting on the airplane, getting the racetrack, making it happen, uh, solving problems and winning races. Um, and, uh, and I think that's why we have people that, that give, 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 uh, together and, uh, uh, the best of times also means you've had the worst of times and, uh, uh, having had both, uh, we know what it feels like to have a good day. <laughs> CTK. Now this is what would happen during the course of a race. I would go up to the pit box. Mike would be calming Scott Dixon down and then I'd interrupt. <laughs> And he'd wax philosophically on, you know, what was coming down the road. Taught me how to count backwards, in fact. Mike, it's, it's been a real honor for me to be uh, covering Chip Ganassi Racing, but more importantly, getting to know you the way that TK knows you. And I appreciate okay. your visiting with us. And look, TK and I are available for any sort of introduction that you need. We're your two biggest fans. <laughs> and we, you know what? If, if people don't like it, they'll get over it because we right. are too, you know, we're, we're in your corner and wish you the very best. And all of Chip's, um, hundreds of people that are part of Chip Ganassi Racing moving forward for the last two races this year. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And uh, the fraternal order that we have on this call is awesome. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that very much. I never thought in motor racing that I'd be lucky enough to be where I am today. Uh, you know, when I was hanging on the fence watching races as a kid and wanting to drive race cars, which I, I was lucky enough to do when I was young and dumb, the, uh, uh, and, and to be able to do what we, we've achieved here, if I looked back at it, it would be paralyzing. So I don't look back at it. 
keep uh, moving forward. But man. I'm really happy about the the relationship that we've had with people like Tony and people like Scott, people like Dario, people like Dan, uh, and many, many more. Montoya, uh, you know, you go down the list. Um, heck, the first driver that I worked for at Chip Ganassi Racing was a guy named Eddie Cheever. Imagine that. So, uh, uh, and I'd never seen anybody so passionate about motor racing as that guy. And I thought, man, this is a good place to work. Um, and, uh, and the passion the owner has makes it worthwhile. Uh, so, uh, yeah, been very, very, uh, just a lot of fun. Well, it's been a lot of fun to have you on brick yeah. by brick. Take care. Good luck. Okay. Thanks. Thanks guys. Yeah. Enjoy your day. <laughs> yeah. My thanks of course, to Joseph Newgarden of team Penske. And then most recently, my call of chip Ganassi racing, by the way, quick reminder, if you want more motorsports conversation and more IndyCar interviews, why don't you consider subscribing to my podcast series, Jackaroot's Wind Tunnel? It's available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And Brick by Brick has its very own podcast as well. Our producer, the guy that toils week in and week out, neatly for my partner, Tony Kanan. I'm Jackaroot reminding you, make sure that you join us next week when we will gather yet again for another edition of Brick by Brick. Hey, a quick reminder, Brick by Brick is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the episode that you're listening to right now and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.